0: Good morning. I'm just glad to be here. I actually am glad to be here. I really enjoy coming over and sharing the Word of God with you guys. And this morning, uh, it's my favorite topic. So <laughs> it's all working together. Everything's working together good <laughs> for me this morning. So last week, um, well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nate, and I think I've already been introduced. But last week we talked about our practice, whether we align with God or align with sin. And we I hope you came away with the idea that in order to align with God, we must be in Christ. We have to be in Christ to align with God. But this week we're going to talk about the love of God. And we're going to continue in that same book we were in last week, 1st John. So go ahead and turn to 1st John chapter 4 verse, or chapter 4 verses 7 through 21. I'm going to read those in a moment. 1st John chapter 4 verses 7 through 21. And this is the word of the Lord. And I'll ask you to go ahead and stand for that reading. It's just one of my habits out of respect for the word of God. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you do add a blessing to the reading of your word this morning and that you open our hearts, that you change us. And I pray for this congregation as I pray for myself that you reveal your great love and that it washes over us like wave after wave of the sea, Lord, that we just are immersed in the depths of it and we realize, we come to know how much you have done for us. Lord, we often think that we're doing things for you, but we're not. You're doing things for us and in us and through us. So show us that this morning. Reveal that to us and call those whom you choose to yourself this morning and save souls and minister in this community and in this church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Probably going to need that this morning. So let's look at our first point. I think it's on page eight of your bulletin, if you're there already. The origin of love is the being of God, and, and John repeats himself over and over in this passage, so I've kind of outlined the various verses where these words appear, if you want to refer to your notes later. But before we begin to talk about love, we need to define exactly what type of love we're talking about, because in English, love means a lot of things, doesn't it? I love my dog, okay, I love my lawnmower. I do. I love my love more. Saves me a lot of work. I ride around on it. But yeah, so love can mean a lot of things. But we need to define exactly what type of love we're talking about. Even in the Greek, in the Bible, we see different words for love. And Greek is very precise or much more precise than English in this sense. You'll see the word eros, which is erotic love or sexual type love, typically between a husband and wife. Or outside the bounds, it's considered to be sin in that sense. You see Philia, we even use that in English where we get our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Everyone knows that one. You'll see storge. Storge is kind of the love between parents and their children or ch- children and their parents. But our word in this passage is agape. And I think it's a very popular word, but it's also well misunderstood in our world today. Our word is agape. And people think this means the gushing love of God that just flows over everything. And it doesn't in this biblical context. Really, the word agape means moral preference. It has that idea that it carries with it. It's a love that has a moral preference, a discriminating affection that involves choice and selection. That's agape when we say that in the context of the Bible. So this type of love I want you to understand that John is talking about rests solely in God's choice, solely in God's choice. Romans 9.15 tells us, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. This is God speaking. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's God's choice there. Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 8 says, for you are my, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. to himself, And love begins with God choosing us, choosing whom to set his affections on. God does that. And two times in our text, in verse 8, you'll see it in verse 8, and verse 16, the scripture says, God is love. Not God has love, certainly God has love. And not God displays love, God certainly displays love. Or God feels love. All those things we like to think about. But in this text here, it says God is love. Love is an attribute of God. It's, as a matter of fact, theologians call it a communicable attribute of God. Does everyone know what a communicable attribute is? It's this way for no, be honest. Okay, A communicable attribute is some characteristic of God that he passes on to us. For example, here's not a communicable, this is an incommunicable attribute, omnipresence. Can anybody be everywhere at once? Moms try to be, but only God can do that. So that's not a communicable attribute of God. In this case, this type of love is a communicable attribute of God, and we can love like God. We can choose to set our affections on someone. That is can't do it perfectly, that's not what I'm saying. But love is not just an attribute of God, it's also his substance and his nature. When something is a substance, it's what is made up of. It's it's he consists in that manner. And as a matter of fact, four times in the New Testament we'll we'll see four statements that describe God's substance and nature. And three times they'll be coming from John himself, the writer of this particular book. He'll say, God is spirit. Remember when he's talking to the woman at the well? God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 24. And that spirit, the Bible later tells us, searches the heart of man, searches us out. Another place in Hebrews says God is a consuming fire. It's kind of a scary thing, but it's in the context of proper worship. If we worship God wrongly, God is a consuming fire, and that's a reference to the Old Testament. God requires worship. These are substances or, or what God is made of. God is light. First John 1 John 1.5, just a couple of pages over from where we are now. Light. God is light. He reveals sin, and he reveals the path of righteousness to us. And then lastly today, we see God is love, and that's what we're preaching about. So since love is God's substance and nature, everything he does is in love. Everything that God does is in love. Judgment is in love. Justice is in love. Holiness is in love. We're not like that, are we? How many people have taken a disc pro a personality exam, a disc profile, or maybe a Myers Briggs test? You can put your hand up. How many? Okay, a lot lot of you have done that, and you know from taking those tests that you're high in one thing, low in another. So, what I want you to do on the way out today is I want you to go by the soundboard, and you'll see things on the soundboard called sliders. And he'll be adjusting those sliders back there to make everything perfect. And that's how we are. We're up and down in some things, high and low. When I'm angry, I'm low in mercy. (laughs) Right? When I'm lovey-dovey, I'm kind of let other things slide. Right? But God is not like that. All of God's sliders are all the way to the top. He is always perfect in everything he does. And the Bible says... That he's love. And in God's great love, he's chosen to set his affection on his elect. Us, who are the people of God. So that brings us to point number two. How does he do that? How does God show his affection to us? And no, point number two says the manifestation, the manifestation of love is the coming of Christ. Christ. What reveals love is the coming of Christ. Manifestation. As I drove here today, I passed over several bridges and I noticed all the ports, the Wando Terminal, the Cooper River Terminal, and all those have those big boxes, right? How do we know what's in those boxes? Well, there's a sheet of paper that comes with those boxes called the manifest, and it reveals what's inside. And Christ reveals What's inside the package of God's love? What's been done for us? God's love is made known. It's revealed through the giving of his son for our salvation. So to understand some of the intensity of this love, I want you to do a little drill with me. I want you to close your eyes. Trust me, I'm not going for your wallet okay, or your purse. Not many purses match my shoes. But, yeah, close your eyes, and want I want to do a little drill with you, to understand some of the intensity of God's love here in giving us Christ, I want you to imagine for a second your child, your child, or if you don't have children, your favorite kid that you know, and then I want you to imagine giving that child up for someone you love. Allowing them to die. Some of you are already twitching. And then, I want you to imagine that you're giving that child up for someone in this congregation. Someone you know. Changes things a little, doesn't it? And lastly, I want you to imagine giving that child up for a serial killer. You can open your eyes now. How did you feel? Mm! But that's precisely what God has done for us. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. God says here, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, enemies, the equivalent of serial killers, Christ died for us. So this is the Father's sacrifice and seeking our good at great cost. And this gift has no equal in all of creation. There is nothing like it in the world. This action is indescribable in both the gift and the love that comes along with the gift. See, Christ displays the costliness of the Father's sacrifice for undeserving sinners. And we see the willingness of the Son also to give himself, not just the Father, but the Son gives himself to humble and debase himself, to die a criminal's death, to literally be reduced to hamburger and hung on a cross. God in the flesh being dishonored for me and for you. That's the kind of love that we're talking about this morning. And I have never done this in a sermon before, but I'm going to do it this morning. I'm going to read a fairly good-sized passage, and I'm going to ask you to stand for this. And I want you to hear me. This is the most important thing that you will ever hear in your life. It's more important than anything you've learned in college, more important than anything your family has taught you, it's more important than anything you've learned on your job. And it comes from the book of Isaiah. And I'll begin with the end of chapter 52. And I'm going to read all the way through 53. And I want you to listen carefully and hear the love of God for you. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I can scarcely read this on my own in my office without getting choked up. So, And I have never read it in public that I did not cry, so I'm just going to get that out there ahead of time. 52, Isaiah fifty-two, thirteen. listen carefully. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. (laughs) Told you I can't do it. (laughs) Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Amen. You may be seated. That is what Jesus Christ and God the Father have done for you. That is why the manifestation of love is in the coming of Christ. The Father gives the Son, we see there. The Son gives himself. First Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And because this love has been revealed, has been unpackaged, we get to see what's in the box manifest to us. It changes us, doesn't it? Or it should change us. Psalms 1013, or 110, verses 1 through 3. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies, Christ. Your people will offer themselves freely. This is our response on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. This is how we love. We respond to God's love. We respond to the Father. We respond to Christ. And I can tell you, no one who has ever encountered this kind of love is ever the same. Once God reveals this to you, you are never the same again. It changes you. It makes you into a new creation, the Bible says. When Jesus Christ comes and His Spirit regenerates you, changes the way we think. God's love is utterly life changing. So we've seen the origin of love. We've seen it comes from the being of God itself. We've seen the manifestation of love. Jesus Christ, who is the visible picture of God's love. We need to see that this grand display is not only intended to save us, but to move us in act, into action, to perfect us, to change us. And that brings us to point number three. The perfection of love is God's spirit in us. Once again, we need to define our terms. We need to talk about what we're talking about. <clears throat> And there are two words in this passage that I want you to see in in verses 12, 13, 15, and 17. You'll see the word perfected. Perfected. Perfected means to bring to an end, to accomplish, to consummate, to finish. When something is perfected, it's done. When an artist gets done, tink, 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 making the statue, and he steps back and goes, it's done. It's perfected. And the other word I want you to see in these passages is abide. Abide. It means to stay or to abide or to remain. I don't think you can use the word in the definition of the word. But it means to remain, to stay in. So let's talk about abiding first. And we see that in verse 13 there. It says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Our abiding in Jesus Christ is not something that I step into and I'm now abiding in Christ. It's something the Holy Spirit does in me and moves me into Jesus Christ and changes me because of God's love. God abides in us and that's how we know We abide in Him. Is that a circular Zen riddle? No. (laughs) It's the truth of God's Word. Verse 15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The Spirit is what moves us into action. Our actions don't move the Spirit. It's the outworking of God's Spirit already in us. As a matter of fact, Philippians 2.13, write this down for a reference. For it is God who works in you both to will, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God's work. Now let's talk about the word perfected. God's love is perfected. In other words, it's brought to complete fruition. It's consummated or accomplished in us. When we respond in the same or similar way, we can't completely do it, but when we respond to God and to those around us in the same way that God has responded to us. Think of all that love that we've talked about. How do we respond to our neighbor? How do we respond to those in need around us? Are we shedding God's love abroad? So how does God's love move us to action? Well, the main way is God changes the way we love. Our love becomes responsive. We extend love because what God has done for us. Verse 11 there tells us that if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Our love is responsive. And also our love is reflective. Verse 19 tells us, we love because he first loved us. We are just reflecting God's love. That's all we're doing. We're like the moon. The moon has no light in itself. But yet you see it all the time, don't you? That light comes from somewhere else, doesn't it? It comes from the sun. The light in us comes from somewhere else. It comes from the Father through his son Christ and through the Spirit that's in us. So when we abide in Christ and are perfected by his love, we can have assurance. And another word for assurance is confidence. And that should make us ask the question, confidence in what? Confidence about what? That brings us to point four. The outcome of love is confidence in God's deliverance, God's deliverance. Now I'm going to read this text again because I want you to get the gist of it, but we're going to start with verse 17 and read through 19. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And this is not self-righteousness or self-arrogance or self-confidence. This is understanding that we are in Christ and therefore we stand on God's side in the day of judgment. Not because of ourself, but because of the work God has done. God has moved us, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And on the day of judgment, which is coming, it's a real deal. It's coming. John continually references about it. You'll see in Paul's writing, he'll call it the day. When that day comes, when Jesus Christ judges, we're going to be on God's side if you follow Christ. Punishment has been removed. Think about this. Punishment has been removed from us by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no punishment coming mine and your way. I think I've said this before. If that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Really? (laughs) That is an awesome thought. Because of what Christ has done, the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm now totally free. The Bible calls it having a clean conscience. My sin is no longer hanging over my head. It's forgiven. It's gone. It's been removed. And John, like I said, is always looking at that final judgment and where we're going to be standing. And he's very concerned here. He spilled a lot of ink in his little book for us to know that we're in a position of safety when you're in Christ. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he cares for you. That you're in that position of safety. Because I will tell you, God's wrath is coming. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone. What are we warning them from? From the wrath to come, right? And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We, because of God's great love, are delivered. From the wrath to come, First Thessalonians 1.10 and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of God. Can somebody say Hallelujah? Okay. Really, wow! Because perfect love does away with all fear of judgment. I don't have to live in fear anymore. I was a sinner. I have to say with Paul, I was a chief of sinners. But God has delivered all that, has delivered me from all of that. So I'm going to leave you with one last scripture and then we'll begin to close here. And I think this sums up our point. It's not in our text, but it's a very important scripture nonetheless. Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Let me ask you, do you know this kind of love? Do you really know this kind of love? Has perfect love removed all fear of God's judgment? If you were to die on the drive home tonight or today, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just asking a question. Is there a complete fearlessness of God's judgment because you stand in Christ? Do you have the abiding love of God in your heart, bought by the Son, placed there by His Holy Spirit, and ordered by the Father? Have you repented of your sins and placed your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? If yes, then rejoice. There should be a big fat smile on your face right now. That's how it should be. We're supposed to be rejoicing. The world needs to know what we're up to. What are you guys so giddy about? I'm forgiven. God loves me. He cares for me. And you can have that same love. You can experience the same thing in Jesus Christ. So if yes, rejoice greatly because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You will live forever. If not... And I beg you this morning, I beg you, repent. Turn to Christ. Believe that he has paid for all of your sin. Turn and serve Jesus Christ with all your heart. And then you'll have the peace that I'm talking about. You'll have that peace. It'll be real to you. That peace that passes all the under, all understanding. Otherwise, you will face the wrath of God alone, but it can be different. Come to Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your love is so wonderful. It is immeasurable. It is indescribable. It is perfect. It deals with us with utter perfection in everything you do. It calls us constantly to repentance, to rest in Christ, to trust in him. Lord, so Father, I pray that you would grant us that more and more, that we would grow in our sanctification as we live our lives and we would trust Christ more and more. And I pray that because of our recognition of the love of God, we would have a smile on our face and a skip in our step that makes everyone around us wonder what we're up to. Lord, so that they would ask, and we would be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. I ask you to grant that to this congregation, Lord, in this place where you planted them. and They would be very fruitful by sharing the love of God and showing the love of God and ministering and calling people to the love of God. We ask that in Jesus' holy name, the one who died for us. Amen.